So I want to welcome everybody to our broadcast of this Good Friday liturgy. Um, as many of you know, I usually have a theme for the Triduum. Even though we are celebrating it in isolation, we cannot be here together today. I figured, through hopefully the inspiration of the Spirit, that a proper theme would be the theme of home. It's how today so many of you are in your homes with your family celebrating this Triduum. And so last night we talked about the home as a place of safety, a bulwark against the chaos and the darkness in the world. But that also Jerusalem as a symbol of the church, the apostles gathered on that first Passover, another symbol of home, of family. And so I want to today continue that theme of home as it relates to today's celebration of Good Friday. Before I go on, I need to make a little clarification or an addendum. I talked about yesterday as an interesting fact that when Jesus on the Passover went out of the walls of Jerusalem, past the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane, that he would have been overstepping the law, going beyond the law which stated what according to Carter Ratzinger said, that you could not go outside of the wall on the Feast of Passover. And I got that from a sort of an essay or meditation that he published in 1984 in his book called Behold the Pierced One. But last night, a very astute and wise scholar contacted me and told me that she was reading Jesus of Nazareth, volume two, which also describes Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Ratzinger, now Pope Benedict, writing in 2011, said that he was not breaking the law because the Jewish rabbis had said that because of the pilgrims coming into town, the boundary of Jerusalem on that night would have been extended. So, not wanting to lead anybody astray, I was blessed to be able to contact Dr. Brent Petrie, and he did some research, and this is his response. He says, quote, it looks like early Ratzinger may have misstated things. According to the rabbis, it would have been unlawful to eat the Passover outside the walls of the city of God. However, due to the influx of hundreds of thousands of pilgrims, rabbinic tradition allowed for pilgrims to spend the night in what was called Greater Jerusalem, which included the Mount of Olives, as well as Bethphage or Bethphage. Thus, on both counts, Jesus acted according to Jewish custom." Close quote. So, you know, this is a unique opportunity. Ratzinger was wrong. You don't normally see that happen. Uh, but thanks to Dr. Petrie for that clarification. But regardless of whether or not he was uh, stepping over the law, Jesus still knew what he was facing when he went out into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he was going to be facing his betrayer and facing imminent death. Putting that aside, I mentioned at the end yesterday that the apostles sort of form Jesus' family and that I wanted to talk about the role of the apostles there today. The truth is, while the apostles should have been there as Christ's family members, to support him not only during the Passover meal, but afterwards, we realize that they all abandoned him. They all took off except for one. 
And that is the beloved disciple, John. And so we hear today in John's account of the Passion, that besides Mary, the mother of Jesus, we also had John present, that he was present. In the very famous passage towards the end of Christ's life, towards the end of the gospel, that Jesus gave Mary to John as his mother and John to Mary as her son. So reading that, I sort of thought back to something I talked about at Christmas. John Paul II's posthumously discovered meditation on givenness, of how God gives certain people to us in our lives. Joseph was given to Mary, and Mary was given to Joseph. And John Paul II says, God does indeed give people to us. He gives us brothers and sisters in our humanity, beginning with our parents. Then as we grow up, he places more and more new people on our life's path. Every such person in some way is a gift for us, and we can say of each, God has given you to me. So it's a beautiful example of here, Jesus, the Son of God, giving Mary and John to each other. And it shows us in our own lives that God does, the Lord does give us people to love, to guide, and to protect. And there's a reciprocity in that, that we are also given to them in exchange. But what deeper purpose does Jesus have in giving Mary to John and John to Mary? So we understand that Jesus is the oldest son. He's the firstborn. And that Mary, because of the death of Joseph, was a widow. Well, this is one of the things we hear so often, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. If Jesus had brothers and sisters, then by law they would have taken care of Mary, the widow. The Jews took very, very seriously the obligation to take care of widows. But since Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters, he gave Mary to John so that John could watch out for her. Jesus was an only child, and this is the clearest evidence of that. And so John takes Mary as his mother, and that Mary takes John on as her son, which of course then makes, John's, makes John Jesus' brother. He is a new member of that family. So we see the first evidence of our theme of the expansion of Christ's family, of this new son who is going to take care of the mother. One could also potentially make an argument that this is an argument for apostolic succession, that Mary is a symbol of the church, and that John the priest taking care of, or the bishop taking care of Mary. But there's something more, and it's what really made me want to talk about this today, rather than the sort of explanation of Jesus being the only son. What happens, or we hear at the very, very end of that passage, that from that hour, the disciple took her, Mary, into his home. And there, where maybe you wouldn't have understood or wouldn't have thought, is the theme of home again. Yesterday we thought of home, we saw home with Passover and the family and the church. Today we see it here, that John took Mary into his home. Now, this is the English translation. The Greek phrase is actually esta idia. 
Now, I am not a Greek scholar, but I've done enough research, and I know that there's a debate on the translation. This is not technically the word for home, even though in some places it could be used as that. Arguably, it is probably better translated that John welcomed her into his own. Ta'idia means sort of into his own, into his own life of faith, and I would say potentially into his own heart. And there we have it, that the heart of John becomes the home for the mother of Jesus, showing us that the home can be much more than a physical place that guides and guards the family. It could be something else. Most particularly, it can be the heart of someone who loves us. Now, throughout scripture and church's tradition, a heart takes on a very specific meaning. It's not the seat of your emotions necessarily, nor is it your physical heart. It is the core of your very being. It's the center of your existence as a person. So we've all heard it say that, that my heart or our heart can be a home for another person. And so that shows an extreme love or devotion for the beloved that we carry them at the very center of our being. And so if you hold someone in your heart, if you bring the beloved into your heart, it means that they're loved, that they're safe, they're protected from the darkness and the chaos of being outside. One might also say that the heart is like Bethany. Now, Jesus, in the days preceding Passover, would actually leave the city walls and go to Bethany to go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his friends. And so that was his place of refuge, of rest, of going into their home where he knew that he could rest and find peace. And so we could say that a great degree, our hearts should be Bethany's for others, where people could rest, but ultimately find Jesus. And so our heart is called to be a home for others, for friends and family members, for those that God has given to us, and also for those who are on the periphery, those who are abandoned, those who are forgotten, those who don't have a home. So many people close to us and not close to us are hemmed in by darkness and loneliness, specifically during this time. I think of those out there who are suffering from the coronavirus and the hospitals, and as a result, are suffering and dying alone because of the quarantine. We can, either in person with those close to us, of course, respecting social distancing now, but also in spirit, or through social media, or through the phone, reach out to them and welcome them into our own, into the home of our hearts to bring that sense of safety, that they know that they are loved, that it's going to be okay. And then hopefully others' hearts can be a home for us too when we are in need. Now, if you're going to extend the analogy, hearts are like homes, but just like homes, they can be different sizes. So Mary's heart next to Jesus would have been the largest. It had been a big mansion. 
and would have had much greater capacity than John's heart, even though of the apostles, John's would have been so large. But by John receiving Mary into his heart, Mary would have helped to expand his heart as he took her in, sort of like adding a few rooms and turning your little house into a big, beautiful mansion. And so the same thing too, when we accept others in our hearts, they can help our hearts to expand, to add on those different rooms so we can grow in our capacity to love. And most importantly, as I mentioned earlier, rather than just keeping other people, our hearts are called to keep Jesus. That our hearts can be a Bethany, where people can rest with us, but also can rest with the Lord. Especially when they are having a difficult time finding Jesus elsewhere. But regardless of what size the heart is or how you choose to envision your heart as a home, we have the responsibility to keep them clean so that people can be safe there. So very appropriate as we talk about keeping our hands clean, our hand sanitizer, it's that heart sanitizer. And I want to talk about this because there's an interesting quote that's been floating around social media this week from St. Edith Stein. For those who don't know, she was a Jewish convert to Catholicism and became a cloistered Carmelite nun. And because of her Jewish heritage, under Hitler in the Third Reich, was shipped off to the gas chambers and was killed. And so she has a quote that's passed on to us from a letter she wrote at the very beginning of her imprisonment, before she went to the death camp straight. Written in August of 1942 from Westbrook Transit Camp. She says, we are very calm and cheerful. Of course, so far there has been no mass and communion. Maybe that will come later. Now we have a chance to experience a little how to live purely from within. So of course, she faced a much graver situation, although probably she didn't realize it at this moment. But she found peace from not being able to have mass and have communion by living purely from within, by living purely in her heart. And so that is a challenge for all of us during this time of not being able to receive the Eucharist, of not being able to come to Mass in person, to be able to grow in the purity of our heart, to create a home, to create a tabernacle worthy for Jesus and worthy for others. But still the reality is that these homes, the home that our heart is called to be for Jesus and for others, are just temporary. Going back to that meditation from Ratzinger from yesterday, he says that Passover is a pilgrimage. And so it reminds us that we are all pilgrims. We're passers-by. We're on a journey to our true home, heaven, the Father's house. And so he writes, we are only guests on earth, God's guests. We are only guests. The Lord who himself became a guest and a wanderer calls us to be open to all who have become homeless in this world. He summons us to be open to all those who suffer, are forsaken, imprisoned, persecuted, for he is in them all. 
So there's rats here calling to make our hearts homes for others who are homeless. And so for all those who are suffering out there, whether we can be with them or reach out to them, we can, through our prayers and sacrifices, hold them in our hearts. But realizing that for them and for us, C.S. Lewis says that our hearts are technically like inns. Along the way, the pilgrimage route, meant for rest and refreshment, we're heading to our ultimate destination, the Father's house. Of course, there's no way that I can talk about our hearts, the hearts of, G, of, of, of John and of Mary, without talking about the most important human heart. And that is the heart of Jesus, Jesus' sacred heart, which is pierced today for love of us and the blood and the water, symbols of baptism and Eucharist, that flow out. We are all ultimately called to find our home there. And it's in that wound in his side which becomes the entrance into his heart. His heart, which is a home, a refuge for sinners, a furnace of his love for us. But it is also the gateway to the Father's house, our true home in heaven, where we are all journeying, where the Lord is calling us to. And this is going to be our theme of home for our reflections tomorrow at the Easter Vigil. And so very appropriate, since we're talking about home and you're at home, here is your homework. As we sort of extend time of prayer leading up to the celebration of the vigil tomorrow at 8 p.m. What hearts are homes for you is the first thing. And to give thanks to the Lord for that. It could be your spouse, your child, your friend. It could be another individual. Whose hearts are homes to you and give thanks to the Lord and possibly for them for that gift. And in your own life, is your heart pure enough to be a home for others and a home for Jesus? Ask the Lord to purify your heart with the Spirit. And then finally, to reflect on that fact that we are all pilgrims and we are headed to our ultimate destination. So I want to conclude today something that sort of seems so very appropriate. As I said before, my own prayers, this idea of home, the journey home became so important uh, for me and fleshing out as a theme today. But as many of you know, uh, John Prine, one of America's greatest singer and songwriters, passed away at the age of about 73 this week. And for many years, I've been a fan of John Prine, but in 2018, he released his last album. And on that album, there was a song called Summer's End. And in that, John Prine, who's such a wonderful songwriter, although not explicitly a Christian, reflects on the passing of time and how the changing of seasons, the summer's end, points to us about the reality that all thing, good things must come to an end. And so back, going back and listening to the song, I realize that there are a few verses in the refrain that seem so appropriate for our theme of home and for closing today's reflection. Well, you never know how far from home you're feeling until you watch the shadows cross the ceiling. Well, I don't know, but I can see it snowing. In your car, the windows are wide open. Just come on home. 
Come on home. No, you don't have to be alone. Just come on home.